Yeah, like one year I thought Santa just brought us coal, but someone shit in our stockings. <laughs> it was a wild Christmas. Oh, hello. Welcome to the Carpenter Queens podcast, coming to you live from the TCQ video store, where you can pick up the best and worst in horror for only 69 cents a day. Welcome in, fellow queerdos. I am the ho, ho, ho that ruined Christmas, St. Nick. <laughs> That was a good one. <laughs> and my illness is chronic, but these tits are iconic. <laughs> my name is Raymond. Hello, Welcome everyone. in, queerdos. Welcome into this week's episode. Happy holidays, queerdos. It is officially mm. the start of the whatever season. Whatever you celebrate, it's that season. <laughs> it is time to start celebrating our personal favorite subgenre. Holiday horror. wait no insert like sleigh bell sounds like now we got to get all jolly and molly and not the molly just the jolly no the molly too (laughs) breaking out the christmas decorations and getting drunk throughout the holidays this month's theme of sleigh bells starts off with the christmas classic but before we begin our sleigh ride the holidays are here what is your favorite part of the season your least favorite parts favorite parts hates loves I do not like parking lots during Christmas time. It is oddly Mm -hmm. specific, but parking lots during holiday season is disgusting. I do not like it. I do love that this month is my birthday month. So I get to celebrate all month long because I am that type of queen. We know, we know. She does this every year. We have to hear the sob story every year. (laughs) I hate you. I also really like, I'm still a sucker for lights and decorations. It still brings that warm, happy glow part of the holidays. I really enjoy that part. What about you? Um, what don't I like? Everything. Uh, I don't like shopping. I fucking hate shopping for Christmas. I hate it. I hate going to the malls. I hate having to park at the mall. Here in LA, it's especially horrible, as you well remember. I'm from LA. Um... Yeah, bitch. We got it worse here. You know what they're in the fucking boonies, bitch. You gotta fight <gasps> off like toothless Mo and that's it. Ew, I hate you. In the Walmart parking lot fighting over that. <laughs> <places. laughs> um, I just I hate like you know, working in retail, it kind of taints the season for you. Ow. Ew. But... <laughs> We're not even five minutes in and you're talking about your taint. <laughs> it's Christmas. Hey, not my taint. <laughs> Anyways, I do love like spending the time with friends and family. I think that's the best part of the holidays for me. And Richard, much like you, is a sucker for like Christmas lights and Christmas decorations. Um, so here they do like things like Candy Cane Lane or they do the LA Zoo lights, which we do every year. Um, so I'm looking forward to that aside from all the delicious foods that come with the season because if there's any a time to love being Latino, it's during Honestly. the holiday season, bitch. <laughs> Thank you for stealing the words right out of my mouth. Tamales, pozole, uh, menudo, uh, 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 enchiladas, just like 
all the delicious good foods that come with Christmas. All the good foods. This, that's when we bring all the good dishes out to the table. Well, since we're both in the jolly spirit, this week's recommended rental is filled with holiday cheer and chaos. We must head home for Christmas and take care of our adorable little mogwais. But remember the cardinal rules of taking care of them. Do not expose your mogwai to light. Do not let it come in contact with water. And most importantly, never, ever feed it after midnight. Or you'll have to deal with the 1984 classic Gremlins. Billy Pelser has a nice home. Billy, is that you? Yeah, Ma, it's me. A nice job. A nice girl. If you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me? I'd love to. And loving parents who are about to give him... You're gonna like this. No, 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 don't shake it. We're gonna have to open it now. It won't wait till Christmas. The most unusual gift <laughs> he ever got. What is it? No. It's your new pet. Come on, Barney, be a good dog. My dad gave it to me. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Because when they do, they change. Queerdos, this 80s Christmas classic is available to stream on none other than HBO Max. They have the bangers. They have the bangers on here. They really Whether do. it's horror horror or our favorite subgenre, holiday horror. So since uh, we're on the subject of subgenres of horror, let's talk about it, bitch. Holiday horror. Because I know my feelings on holiday horror what are your feelings on holiday horror, specifically Christmas horror? It is the weirdest mixture. For some reason, Christmas is just like the perfect setting theme for some mayhem and Christmas time. It is mm-hmm. beautiful. Some of my favorite horror movies are based around horror. Black Christmas and Black Xmas. Hello. We yes. both adore Black Xmas. And yes. She's my family now. <laughs> and yes, everybody, you have to pronounce it that way. It is Black Xmas. Extreme. <laughs> Combo. Krampus is one of my ultimate favorites. And mm. Gremlins is one of my ultimate favorites. I don't know what it is. I guess. Uh. I already have a weird feeling with Christmas because it sucks being born on the day. So seeing all of like this destruction and horror and bloody goodness happen is so weird. It's good. Not to mention this movie does it well, very well. Christmas songs work really well in horror. Just slow it down a little bit and keep the choir in and it works so well. Which has been like a running theme for movies recently is Mm -hmm. to take an older song and slow it down and rework it for a horror movie. I'll admit I was gagged the first like two or three times it happened and then after that it just gets repetitive i'm like okay we've done this move on what about you what is your relation with holiday horror i love it i love holiday horror i feel like it's a niche horror like subgenre of horror and i just love the juxtaposition of 
you know, horror and some like holiday cheer. I feel like they're on such opposite ends of the spectrum that I love to see them combined. Mm-hmm. I think the first time I ever experienced that was Nightmare Before Christmas. And I was like, whoa, God. and mine was blown. That's a great one. Every goth kid, wet dream. Right? I feel like that's a good introduction into holiday horror. And from there, it just goes off the rails with movies like Black Christmas. Like I, 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 I like echo your sentiments exactly. Black Christmas and Black Xmas. Krampus, Gremlins, Silent Night, Deadly Night, even the ridiculousness mm-hmm. that is Jack Frost, if anyone has ever <laughs> yes. seen it. Just smoke a doobie for me before you do it, please. Mm. Speaking of smoking doobies. 420, what you smoking? What did you pair it with this week's watch? Um, I unfortunately did not have time to go and get anything special for this screening because the bitches are busy with work and it being the holidays. holidays, (laughs) Yes. And it being the goddamn holidays. So luckily for myself, we still have plenty of my stash to work on. So don't know what it was. It got the job done. And, uh, (laughs) I enjoyed the movie thoroughly. She clocked in, she clocked out. That's all that matters. Uh-huh. <laughs> what about you? For this go around, I pulled out my Eureka pen once again while I was watching because that sucker hits way harder than I expected to. And mm-hmm. pens are sneaky little shits. Pens are so sneaky, much like the little gremlins. You just like think everything is great, everything is super fine, and then all of a sudden they claw at you, smack at you, and I'm like... When did I put 12 sugar cookies in my mouth? I don't know, but <laughs> I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, these pens are lethal. I brought my pen today for the for the recording. Oh my God, I forgot what brand this is. But it's good shit. Because I remember I took a couple of hits of this one and I was like, cause you know, you it, instinctively, like you hit it like once or twice, put it down, you pick mm-hmm. it up like a minute later, take another three mm-hmm. puffs, put it down. Because it makes another... you forget you took a hit. <laughs> so it's like erasure every time. You also forget that this is stronger than like taking a hit off of a piece or something. You know, 10, 15 minutes later, all of a sudden all those little tokes you took hit you and you're, uh, well, you're screaming for dear life when those gremlins hatch out of those eggs. (laughs) So let's check out the VHS's special features and find out how this movie was made. Gremlins released June 8th, 1984. I'm going to pause very quickly. June! Thank you. And somehow this movie is still a massive hit we're gonna get to it but it boggles my mind that it came out in summer and this is a full-blown christmas movie wow i june june we have a runtime of one hour and 46 minutes it is rated pg no wait pg-13 no 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 wait pg Mm, i think it's pg-13 we'll talk about it later we'll talk about the rating later don't worry (laughs) (laughs) moving on to taglines cute clever Mischievous, intelligent, dangerous. Steven, Steven, <laughs> Steven Spielberg presents. What you see isn't always what you get. The gremlins are coming. Don't get him wet. Keep him Ow. out of bright light and never feed him after midnight. They didn't obey the rules. Wow, I didn't know this that this movie had this many different taglines, and they're not all winners. The only one that I remember is cute, clever, mischievous, intelligent, 
dangerous. Like that's the only one that ever comes to mind. But I unfortunately am definitely a child of Drag Race. So when I heard what you see isn't isn't always always the truth. truth. (laughs) (laughs) Directed by Joe Dante, who is also the director of the movie with E.T.'s mom in it, The Howling. (laughs) Not to mention Piranha and also the director of 1989's The Burbs and the classic Small Soldiers. I'm going to check almost every single one of these off. Check, 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 check. Piranha, I only found out because of Destination 180. Hi, gals. We miss you. Please come pick up a shift. I need to take the 27th off. Thank you. Um, Also, you left your paycheck here, so come and get it. Otherwise, it's going to go into the donation bin. And by the donation bin, I need my wallet. Moving on, written by Chris Columbus, uh, infamously the director of Home Alone in 1990, Adventures of Babysitting in 1987, Mrs. Motherfucking Doubtfire in 1993, and of course, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and the Chamber of Secrets, uh, respectively in 2001 and 2002. Talk about a filmography. Are you kidding me? Caters to children essentially these are all kid movies but but well done kids movies like this is our bread and butter this is our time this is where we grew up you were my 90s (laughs) (laughs) literally i think that it is extremely evident in the direction of this movie how well you knew he was going to take off with this because i think that the beats in this movie are fantastic. There's a few dips that I didn't appreciate as a kid, but as an adult, I find hilarious. It's it's so good. It's so good. I can't wait to get to the meat and potatoes. Moving on to our cast, we have the hottie himself, Zach Galligan as Billy Peltzer, our main character. He is, hold on, let's just pump the brakes right here really quick for a little appreciation because I know, one, this is part of your sexual awakening because he's totally <laughs> your f***ing type. He's totally, totally your type. type. He's not a sexual awakening because when I saw this movie, I was too young to like know what like was stirring, stirring underneath all of this mess. But he was definitely a childhood crush. He was definitely one of those people that I'm like, I don't, you, you. I don't know what it is about you, but my, keep my eye on you. My eye on you. And girl, my eyes were glued to the screen. <laughs> also starring as our love interest, Phoebe Cates as Kate Berenger. I am a huge Phoebe Cates fan. Yes, you are. Fast Times. Yes. Drop Dead Fred. Drop Dead Fred. Thank you. <laughs> Drop Dead Mother that's a wild one i don't that's one we'll never i don't know if we'll ever cover on this show i think it's too it, niche anyone who's into some weird 90s movies check out drop dead friend moving on we have hoyt axton as randall Rand peltzer polly holiday as ruby deagle francis lee mccain as lynn peltzer judge reinhold as gerald hopkins Dick Miller as Murray Futterman, the Dick Miller, TCQ alumni come through Chopping Mall, Glenn Turman as Roy Hansen, Key Luke as Mr. Wing, Scott Brady as Frank Riley, Corey motherfucking Feldman as Pete Fountain, looks like. Uh, hello, another TCQ alumni. Check him out in our Lost Boys episode. Ding! Jonathan Banks as Brent Fry, Edward Andrews as Roland Corbin. Jackie Joseph as Sheila Futterman, Belinda Belaski as Mrs. Joe Harris, Harry Carey Jr. as Mr. Anderson, 
And as for our voices, we have Howie Mandel as Gizmo, uh? Frank Welker as Stripe, and Don Steele as Rockin' Ricky Rialto. Let's address the elephant in the room. Howie Mandel? <laughs> as Giz? So I watch quite a few special features and behind the scenes on this thing. And it's wild to see the gizmo voice come out of Howie Mandel. Like he does it in an instant. It is like right there at the tip of his tongue. So it's so strange. Really? I I know it's because I only associate him with like America's Got Talent and Deal or No Deal. He's the host for like NBC. That's how I know Howie Mandel now. I associate him with Little Monsters. Is in Little Monsters. Yeah, he's he's the monster. <laughs> Moving on to reviews. We have an IMDb of a 7.3 out of 10 and a Metacritic of 70 out of 100, a Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter of an 85% and an audience score of a 78%. These are extremely solid reviews. I am not oh. mad at any of these. I'm not mad at any of these either. These are all passing grades in my eyes. Shit. I would have... I would have skated through with a 2.0. Z's get degrees. <laughs> I have to laugh. <laughs> For our production, we have a budget of 11 million, which I just want to pause because that really surprises me for the amount of special effects that this movie has packed inside of here. For the 80s and 11 million, to me, that's pretty freaking impressive, especially coming from a Spielberg produced set. Seriously. Well, I think that's how they were able to get the 11 million. I'm sure his name brought a lot of that money in um i can see how it was used though and i can see some of the tricks that they had up their sleeve which we'll get to uh, for our box office we have an opening weekend of 12 million and a gross worldwide income of 153 million dollars done solid solid can you imagine making all your money back opening weekend and then uh, everything after that is gravy bitch everything after that is money in your pockets for our script, the film was picked up by budding new production company of Amblin Entertainment, which also is cool for me to look back on because I, we both grew up on Amblin produced productions. Mm -hmm. It's really cool to see that this was the budding start of it. It was started by Titans of Hollywood now, especially Steven Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy, and Frank Marshall in 1981. But they would pick up the film script, which was written by Chris Columbus. Chris originally wrote the film based off an experience when starting off in Hollywood and his apartment was littered with mice. One night he can hear a quote, what sounded like a platoon of mice would come out and to hear them skittering around in the blackness was really creepy. So with this in mind, and his father's childhood explanation of his car not working thanks to, quote, gremlins, he would write this script. And originally, that script was more based around a hard R. It was far more violent and wild. And one scene even included the gremlins taking over McDonald's and then leaving all the food, but eating everyone inside. <laughs> there was even a decapitation scene with the mom. It was very hard. I kind of want to see it. I wouldn't have minded seeing it. And I can see how that original script, I can still see remnants of that original script in here. Cause some of these deaths are pretty gruesome, to be honest. I didn't know that Amblin was started by three people. I thought that was strictly Spielberg. So I didn't know that Kathleen and Frank Marshall were both in it as well. Which are both big head honchos. And we've talked about Frank Marshall before on some of the work that we've done. And this is, I think our third Spielberg or it's touched episode that we've done this Something this like show. that, cause we already did JP. And I know you produced something else we watched. We talked about Jaws. Please go check out those episodes because the Jurassic Park one was freaking fantastic. 
Steven wanted to redirect the film into a wider audience-based film rather than the hardcore original pitch. He also wanted to include a singular Mogwai that would remain cuddly. In one of the original scripts, Gizmo transformed into Stripe, but Spielberg believed the audience would want him present throughout the film, thus keeping Gizmo throughout the whole script. And once again, we've talked about it. He's a kind of a marketing genius and he really understands the audience's need for particular things in film. He is very smart. Yeah, he definitely like has uh like is in touch with the audience and what they would expect and what they would want, which is why his movies do so well. And keeping Gizmo is incredibly ingenious because first of I love Gizmo. It was my childhood dream to have a pet and we would name them Gizmo. Aww. And I was given instead a mix of a chihuahua and a pug and a face only a mother could love in my dog princess. She's the gremlin after you put water on them and I love her for it. (laughs) (laughs) R.I.P. R.I.P. Princess, love you. A real one. But it's, it's genius because this is still a kid's movie when they transformed it through and through. However, there's a lot of stuff in here that probably the kids, I think, would scare the shit out of a kid. Yeah, this is... I, whatever. I mean, like, I sometimes <laughs> I think about it, I was like, I kids shouldn't be watching this. Like, I shouldn't have watched this, but I watch a lot of movies that I shouldn't have, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, I agree. This is not meant for kids, because in the beginning, it's very, like, warm and cuddly, like a Christmas movie, and then it, it hits a certain point where it, that's where it takes the horror turn. And it turns like completely horror almost. It, I would absolutely agree. Not only that, I didn't realize, honestly, up until with it, doing it for this show, the dark comedy in this movie is not appropriate for children. And I love that. I <laughs> love that shit. It is, it is great. I can't wait to talk about it. Moving on to pre-production. Joe Dante was brought on due to his work with The Howling and, Sp- and Spielberg would bring him on during a lull in his career. Zach Galligan was brought on to the film as a relatively unknown actor at the time. He was hired due to his chemistry with more known actor Phoebe Cates, who may have not been hired due to the studio believing her former more risque roles would be a problem. They would also hire Corey Feldman at the time, who had mainly done commercials, and this would be his jump into the child star of the 80s. Because he would go on to work on another Spielberg production, The Goonies. Another amazing movie. Everything's connected. Do, 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 do. Or filming, our favorite parts of 80s films are the special effects, everybody. So now we must talk about these fantastic practicals. So Christopher Columbus originally wanted to be a comic book illustrator and created early designs of the gremlins. But Spielberg's only real note about the creatures was to give the Mogwai's fur the same feel and design as his cherished King Charles Cocker Cocker Spaniels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's actually... It is a choice, but that's also what I remember most from the Gremlins is their fur design. They're so adorable. Yeah, the little white and brown fur with the little ears. They're very cute. Chris Wallace was brought on as a designing operator to try and bring these Gremlins to life. The time period limited their capabilities to create these little monsters. Thus, a lot of old school puppeteering was implemented. Zach Galligan would have the hardest time with the creatures due to him having the most interaction with the little demons. In some scenes, Galligan would explain the difficulty in believing these creatures to be real when he himself would be hooked up to 20 different wires to work with the puppets. Some costuming ran wires that would be tapped into the hands and legs and would run through his shirt and pants and out the bottom of a hole in his socks. Each individual wire connected to the puppet would be commanding one specific portion of the puppet. One wire for the brow, another for an ear, and all would have to be operated with a small black and white TV showing the actors performing for the puppeteers. 
Each puppet could have up to three or a dozen different puppeteers operating a single puppet. For Gizmo's big close-ups, they would have to create big puppets for the more nuanced performances, which would mean creating oversized props to create the portions needed on screen. That's insane. I, I, I can already picture the 80s filmmaking. like Gizmo's head to be the size of like my freezer. A door. fridge. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so wicked. And I I did things backwards on this time around. I did the research and then watched the movie, which I kind of liked because then I got to really pay attention to that giant shots of Gizmo in uh, Billy's bag. It is extremely evident that it is a huge puppet, but I could only imagine filming. I would be a kid in a candy store. That would be amazing. <laughs> that was insane. I us uh, we're like practical effect queens, so all of this is done practically. Because it's the 80s. We love to see it. But I feel bad for Zach Allegan. Like having to having to act and pretend that this thing is alive when you're holding a puppet and then there's just a wire going straight through your wrist, going down to your <laughs> chest, all the way down, and having to pretend like everything's fine. Like <laughs> he even stated that his favorite puppet was Stripe because he never had to fully interact with the puppet. So he could just react to the puppet instead of having him taped him. I mean, it hasn't gotten any easier. So at least he had something to look at and react to rather than a green tennis ball that they had to react to these days. I mean, you make a very valid point. And sometimes those green tennis balls, I'd rather go back to the wire and the taping. Right? I mean, he's never going to make it in porn. (laughs) This is a Christmas episode. (laughs) Although the film takes place during Christmas, filming took place from the second week of April into the end of summer in August in 1983. It would have filmed throughout Los Angeles and Burbank Studios. It would make filming difficult for the actors who would have to bundle up in thick clothing in 105 degree Mm. weather. Let's pretend that it's snowing out, everybody. James Spencer would be the set designer who would also design the wacky inventions throughout the film. I can only imagine having to pretend like, ooh, burr, it's cold and it's 105 (laughs) degrees in the valley. It's cold cold in here. here. There There must be be some some trolls in the the atmosphere. This sounds like hell. Los Angeles gets ridiculously hot. And then being on a set with the lights, with the machinery, everything involved, and having to pretend that it's chilly outside is fantastic. But I will say, I think they pull it off fairly well. It's still a movie set. Like that movie set feel never goes away. But I think that adds to like the nostalgia and this Christmas storybook vibe that they're going for throughout the movie. Yeah, they sell it to me 100%, but I think because I know it was filmed here, I was just like, I know none of this is real, and I know y'all are dying underneath that jacket. Oh my god. (laughs) Because I was, I remember one time I filmed uh, like a Christmas in student thesis film in film school. It was literally the exact same month. We shot it like in April, May, and I was dying. I put up a stupid Christmas tree in the middle of April, fucking sweating. Phoebe Gates' famous monologue about her father's death became a huge portion of contention on set. Phoebe took on the role because of this monologue. Its dark humor is extremely evident in the scene, but of course, the executives demanded for the film to be removed. They believed the audience would walk out, apparently. And Dante stood to his belief that the monologue encapsulates the film's themes, and Spielberg stuck by his director's creative vision and kept it in. I'm gonna save my feelings because I have a lot of feelings. (laughs) <laughs> we'll wait, we'll wait, we'll wait. But kudos, kudos to Steven Spielberg for backing up uh, John Dante. I mean, like, no, we're going to keep it in. 
he said he wants it and we're keeping it in. Period, sis. <laughs> I'm always, even if it's not the best, I'm always foreseeing what the director envisioned. And this is what they want. I'm Please keep it in. I want to see what the full story is supposed to be, mama. Tell mm-hmm. me what you're really trying to tell me. I want to get into your mind. <laughs> Moving on to post-production, the film would go on to be a huge success, stamping its place in pop culture and solidifying the creepy little gremlins in Hollywood. We're talking merchandising, Uh, marketing deals, uh, toys, lunch boxes, even cereal, mama. Crunch, crunch, munch, munch. You know you've made it to the tippy top when you're on a f***ing cereal box. All tea, all shade. If I'm on a Wheaties box ever, I won't because I don't even lift the remote control. Ew, not a Wheaties box. Uh, It's a cereal box. I'd be happy with that. What is your ideal cereal box then? I would love like a Captain Crunch. Yeah, I want to go for like a sugary cereal. Give me the sugar mama. Give me something that I can throw marshmallows and sprinkles in. Now, thanks to that success, we must talk about the violence and the content of this film. The film was marketed as a kid-friendly romp through Christmas pulling similarities to E.T. in tone, color, and sort of concept. Although when this film was released with a PG rating, many parents were upset over the depiction of violence, death, and mayhem on the screen. (gasps) At the time, Spielberg also released Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is also rated PG. The film would push the boundaries of the PG constraint. During the early 80s, the rating system went G, PG, then R. Because of this film's content, as well as the Temple of Doom, the MPAA would create a new rating scale of PG-13. I did not know this until the research of this movie. What a historical moment in Hollywood, darling, and both by Steven Spielberg. I was about to say, of course Steven Spielberg would be behind this. Uh, I knew, I know, I mean, obviously I know about the like MPAA wars and parental wars that went on during the 80s and 90s and what their kids were watching and how it was being rated and how parents should be informed on what their kids were watching, yada, yada, yada. I didn't realize that Gremlins was sort of like- the catalyst. The breaking ground for that, yeah. Where they're like, no, this is not a- P-. I didn't realize that we only had G, P, G, and then went straight to R. That's pretty wild. It is very wild, which explains a lot of movies in the 80s. It explains a lot of movies geared towards kids in the 80s. I'm like, why is this G? <laughs> this, this should not be G. Are there even rated G movies anymore? I feel like any movie I've seen, even Disney and Pixar, are still PG. I, PG. Everybody's numb, honey. We need some violence in our lives. But like, I feel like it's not even that. I feel like all T, all shade people are just like very sensitive. And so like nothing is rated G anymore. They're like, no. Oh, I see what this, you're saying. This is PG, not G. I bet even Charlotte's Web would be PG-13 now. <laughs> it probably would be big. But I want to talk about merchandising, merchandising. Did you own anything? Because I remember wanting specifically a Gizmo doll. I really wanted a Gizmo doll. I remember, I was shown this movie very, very early. I was shown this movie, I think I want to say nine or 10 is when the first time I remember watching this movie because it's a perfect Christmas movie. I love this movie. But I always remember thinking that would be a great doll. That would be a fantastic toy. Yeah, but... You like by the time you watch this, this movie had been well out. Oh wow! So there, far there well wouldn't out. even yeah, there wouldn't have been even merchandise for you to be able to get your hands on. 
what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is that this movie, just watching it, you can tell this movie was meant to be merchandised. There's merchandising and synergy in the movie. There's a big oh, shout yeah. out to Burger King in the opening sequence of the town. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. And and they milked it. No, I wouldn't say milked it, but they definitely took their opportunity and made the merchandise for it, which was smart. Um, especially with something you're gearing towards kids, you can milk kids for all they're worth, bitch. So before we turn into gremlins ourselves, let's go take a quick little smoke break and we'll be right back after these ads. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Mori Povich. Santa, are you my daddy? (laughs) Our movie... Our movie opens in Chinatown. We meet Randall Peltzer, an inventor. He's lured into a mystical shop by a small boy, and inside we find antiques and artifacts. Rand tries to sell the shop proprietor one of his inventions, the bathroom buddy. It backfires and leaves him looking foolish. But throughout his demonstration, he's distracted by some small creature's noises coming from the back of the store. He goes to investigate and finds a mogwai, a small caged creature who we only get a point of view shot of. The shop owner says the mogwai is not for sale, even after Rand offers him $100, $200. And he states that the mogwai comes with many responsibilities. The small boy tells Rand to wait outside, and moments later, the boy comes out with a caged creature in hand. He says his grandfather is crazy and that they desperately need the money. They make the exchange and Rand makes his way home for Christmas. We get a voiceover from the small boy about some very, very strict rules when it comes to caring for a mogwai. Rule number one, keep him out of the light. Rule number two, keep him away from the water. And rule number three, never, never feed him after midnight. (gasps) So we have to address the... 80s elephant in the room and it's are you talking about the insensitive depiction of chinese americans yeah pretty freaking much um this is but really difficult always to like address in these types of movies especially the 80s movies where anything kind of flew yeah so i want to address the elephant in the room and of course this is not good this is not good at all this is a stereotype played to a thousand and it's yeah. really offensive it is uh, unfortunately, I, I, I there's nothing we can do at this point. I feel like we have covered many movies that are offensive, no matter what decade they are in, because we have covered mm-hmm. many decades by this point. Um, it, it's just another one of those movies that unfortunately falls into that category. So we're going to go ahead and address the elephant in the room. Yes, this is racially insensitive. We understand that. Uh, it is a product of its time. We do cannot condone these same feelings, I guess. And viewpoints. I, it's but. I don't want to glaze over it because the rest of this movie outside of those spectrums when it's not being racially insensitive is a solid freaking movie because these sets are gorgeous and it already sets you up for that type of style. And I just need to also address during this time period, Poltergeist also came out and a whole bunch of other Steven Spielberg produced movies. And you can always tell this looks <laughs> and feels like a Spielberg production. It's always yeah. on the set and the lighting. Yeah, I thought you were gonna say that you knew it was a Steven Spielberg movie because it was racially insensitive because they're actually racially insensitive poltergeists. Call it out. <laughs> I've had it. And I'm so, you know I'm, what I've had? It. it. In Poltergeist, <laughs> in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Like, let's, <gasps> do you want me to make the list? No, it'll go be here all night. <laughs> Our movie opens in a small town in the weeks leading up to Christmas. 
The town is busy with Christmas cheer, and we focus on our main character, Billy, and his dog, Barney. He's having trouble with his car, as usual, and his neighbor, Mr. Futterman, comes home and asks if he needs a jump. He rambles on about foreign cars and how they're unreliable, and he asks Billy about his comic strip and how he hopes to read it alongside the others in the newspaper one day. Billy says goodbye and makes his way to work on foot with Barney alongside him. Billy finally arrives to his job at the bank, and we meet our love interest, Kate his coworker at the bank. We also meet the town Grinch, Mrs. Deagle, who claims, Billy's dog, <laughs> who claims Billy's dog broke her imported Bavarian snowman and she doesn't want money. She wants the dog's blood. Evil. It's Christmas. <laughs> when she describes what she would do to the dog, Barney jumps up from behind the counter, causing Mrs. Deagle to fall back and breaking the remaining piece of her imported snowman. Barney jumps on her and bites at her sleeve and she hams it up saying she has a weak heart and Billy is scolded by his superiors. I'm going to quickly jump ahead just to like Mrs. Gulch right now. Her name's not Mrs. Gulch. Mrs. Gulch is from Wizard of Oz, but that's the vibe I get from her is the Wicked Witch of the East, aka Mrs. Gulch from the Wizard of Oz. When she even threatens to take the goddamn dog. And your little dog, too, is essentially what she said, because she wants the dog. She don't give a about the snowman or the money. She wants that dog served up on a platter. That's so funny, because that's exactly what I put in my notes. I'm like, she's literally the Wicked Witch of the West. But I just have to say, the archetype of, like, a grumpy, evil villain woman is, like, my favorite in childhood media and there's just something inherently queer Yay. about a female villain because of that feminine energy <laughs> i love i love i used to quote this consistently her opening line is good good morning mrs deagle what's good about it <laughs> <laughs> she's such a fucking grouch it's so good because you immediately are aware of this character and even her next interaction with the character is the best we get some poor woman who we see multiple times with her two kids coughing kids by the way oh she explains that they can't pay the rent this month and if they can just they could just wait for a second and mrs deagle's reaction is mrs harris the bank and i have the same purpose in life to make money not to support a lot of deadbeats and she yells at the kids she calls the kids deadbeats and then she like pushes them on way to go to bank she's like but it's christmas well now you know what to ask santa for don't you oh. <laughs> she's awful and evil and we live we stand but, a- but but did you see the eyebrows though did you I see live, the brows? I, I don't live, live for those brows. For the Liza Minnelli brows over some chunky oatmeal brows. <clears throat> we also get to meet Billy. We also get to interact with Billy. Billy is a fantastic lead, but I'm just going to say it right now. He is an awful pet owner. He is the worst yes. pet owner. He is the worst. Like, it's never really explained why he takes the dog to work with him, but for some reason he takes the dog to work with him every day. He also, as we well know, if you've seen this movie already, does not take very good care of the Mogwais. He does literally everything you're not supposed to do, and it's like blatant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you want the, you only have three rules? I'm gonna break every single one of them. But I still root for him because he's so adorable. Not even just like he is very attractive. He even still like to this day, I'm just like you're still super cute. It's his acting, it's the way that he is, and it's the fact that he has a dog. Who doesn't love a guy with a dog? Oh, I'm a sucker for a guy with a dog. But he's he very much gives the like he very much gives the boy next door energy. Like very much so. Like oh, middle America, corn fed white boy with the bubble butt. 
god my ultimate weakness how dare you but we also get to meet kate and i really really like phoebe cates as this as the fellow lead she's adorable you instantly like her she definitely gives off girl next door vibes and Mm -hmm. you want you want these two to be together from like the instant that you see them Mm -hmm. i love phoebe cates i love phoebe cates anytime i see her on my screen so this is a phoebe phoebe cates appreciation podcast you're welcome not only that hold on i do have to mention that she openly states that she's going to kill this dog she says she's (gasps) gonna put this dog in the dryer and this poor guy next to him is like yeah that'll do it (laughs) he agrees with her what the kind of town is this this is some middle america honey going on no this is exactly why i'm going to no square states i hate you this is why she's never visited From here, we cut to the local watering hole where Billy is sketching a great rendition of Mrs. Kegel as a dragon. What did he say? Is it Kegel? Yeah. Deagle. It's not. It's what is Deagle. it? Deagle. You That's staying in. That's staying in. I was sighing when I, I was so high when I, when I was writing these notes. We cut to the local watering hole where Billy is sketching a great rendition of Mrs. Deagle as a dragon. Gerald Jones, his superior from the bank, comes over and gives him a hard time about the fiasco at the bank. We also see Kate again as she's picked up a night job at the bar to help out the owner so she didn't have to hire another waitress. Gerald tries to shoot a shot at Kate and she quickly turns him down, much to Billy's delight. We are back at home with Billy and meet his mom, Lynn, who's preparing dinner. He asks if she needs help to which she says he can help with the eggs. He attempts to use an automated egg cracker, one of his dad's inventions, to which it fails miserably. Uh Lynn states, Your dad's inventions always work the first few weeks. Just then, Randall returns from his work trip and is greeted by his family. He surprises Billy with an early Christmas gift that can't wait to be open. Randall tells his wife to dim the lights and Billy tears into the present. He opens the lid on the box and we get a jump scare from behind. Then we push in on the creature and get a full reveal of Gizmo. He has brown and white fur, large ears, and big doe eyes. Lynn tries to take a picture of Billy and his new pet and ends up scaring Gizmo, which promotes Randall to fill the family in on the new rules when it comes to Gizmo. Billy and Gizmo retreat to his room where they continue to bond. Let's go back to this bar because I love Phoebe Kate's delivery on this asshole, Gerald, who also goes in on Billy and says, well, if it isn't Captain Clip-On, because of course it's the 80s and he has clip-ons. Yes! Clip-on ties? He does rock the clip-on. I've seen this guy before. I it's can't like remember one movie. 80s asshole villain. <laughs> I've seen him in several other movies. He always plays the asshole. Mm-hmm. Honestly, there's not much to his character other than him being like an antagonist and an asshole. He's a very specific asshole. He's an 80s corporate asshole. They were li- like... Think Wall Street, greased hair, Norman Bates. American Psycho. It's so funny. I think it's so great because of course he has to be in this type of movie. But when he, I cannot stand that he degrades Kate while she's working her second job. And then he still tries to tell her to come over. He's like, hey, Kate, you haven't seen my new apartment. I haven't seen your old one. Bam. (laughs) But Get him, Kate. She don't take no shit. This is her Knock him down a peg or two. I really dig it. I like how they really try to give Kate's character more dimension just by making her have the second job here because you can't help but love Phoebe Kate's. Look at her. What's not to like? She's got bangs. I know. Oh my God. Bangs! I got bangs! 
Bangs. Can I just mention really quickly when we go to Billy's house, besides the fact that that sword gimmick is super cute and I like that they play with the falling sword every time somebody comes, <laughs> every time somebody comes through the door, yeah. <laughs> I j'adore, adore that every American home depicted in the 80s has to have a TV in the kitchen. Because when I was a kid, I thought that was like the epitome of wealth, of mm-hmm. luxury, of glamour. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, is having a TV in the kitchen. I agree wholeheartedly. And so they have a TV in the kitchen, along with the father's many failed attempts at kitchen products, not products. Machines, fuckery? Sure, yeah, machines. Ah, a torture chamber. That's essentially <laughs> what it was with all his gizmos and gadgets in there. Because why do you need a machine that cracks eggs for you? You can't you crack your own eggs. It's an inventor. They want to make things just to make things. It gives, it's definitely in the energy of like, honey, I shrunk the kids and Pee Wee's Playhouse. I was thinking <laughs> Pee Wee Herman. Yes. Like this long, ridiculous machine just to like crack an egg for God knows <laughs> what reason. Yeah. Um, I also love Lynn. Lynn is fantastic. We don't get Lynn yes. more until later, but Lynn is a wonderful wife. She's a wonderful mother. She's a wonderful character. I love and she's full of Christmas cheer because we'll get to it later. But Homegirl is Goes throwing out. down for just her husband and her son. Like she's got the Christmas cookies out. She's fully pulling on like uh, all the stops, bitch. A full Christmas feast. I love it. I think that's what I like so much about this movie is that it's total like Christmas postcard. This town looks like a Christmas postcard. This feels like I just walked into like, I don't know, like Target during the middle of December and there's so many smiling faces and it's just like snow <laughs> everywhere. It's like, it's great. It's wonderful. It's adorable. And I love Randall's inventions. Let's talk about Kismo. Let's talk about Gizmo. And this is our reveal. first introduction. Well, like his first reveal, yeah, essentially is his reveal. I have no ads. I have no ads. No notes. It's cute. It's a cute moment. And then I love the little, I, I haven't watched this movie in a hot minute. So when we get that little jump scare from it, I, I wasn't expecting it. I genuinely got a little frightened. Uh, but then we get the full reveal and you're like, oh, he's sweet and innocent and he's nice. And now knowing that those were like 10 times the size of what Gizmo's really supposed to be, it's pretty crazy to think that they got those close-up shots of blowing Gizmo up to like 10 times life size. Because it's, amazing puppeteering i love a good puppet i we you know how i feel about the muppets i am a huge mm-hmm. fanatic this is oh, what does that mean this is wonderful work i really can't get over it especially those close-ups because everything moves everything moves when oh, you get nostrils flare you even get the cute little like snot nose that you get from like a dog when their like nose is all wet it's freaking adorable and i think the introduction is so classic childhood it gives you like a warm fuzzy feeling which is what i really like about this movie this movie gives you the warm fuzzy feels until Mm -hmm. it rips those feelings right out of your gut and i feel like a lot of that has to do with the score the score and this movie go hand in hand it's scored to perfection because it really gives you those nostalgia beats for christmas but it also can turn on a dime and be horrifying It is composed by Jerry Goldsmith, who would win a Saturn Award for Best Music for this film. And it's well-deserved. This The soundtrack is very iconic. It's also played a lot, I think, at Universal Studios during Christmas time, if I remember correctly. Oh, probably, yeah. <laughs> but it's really fantastic. It gives such a whimsy to everything and makes mm-hmm. everything so fantastical. I love it. Uh, but I also have to give a thank you, Howie Mandel, 
your voice is so freaking adorable in this. It's bright light, bright light. So that was another thing that kind of struck me as odd, like not growing up, but watching it now as an adult is the fact that they can speak English, like they say words. And I was like, hmm. Did you not remember that? No, it's not that I didn't remember it. It's just like as a child, you don't think much of it. You think it's awesome and fantastical. It's a, it's a fantasy movie, you know? Uh-huh. But as an adult, I'm just like, even though it's a fantasy movie, it's just like, Hmm, it's a choice. There's a there's an aspect to this movie that is very it is very fantasy. It's also very sci-fi. There's a part of this movie that that I feel that I feel that energy that you're giving because nobody reacts weirdly to the point where it's like, what is that? What is a mogwai? What is that creature? Because everyone's just they're just like, oh, it's cute. Where do I get one? I don't know how y'all do shit. Where you from? But let me tell you something. Where I'm from, we don't do shit like that. And I love this, like the first introduction, and like the mom genuinely like tries to make a cute moment out of the out of him giving the gift, and like, oh, let me take a picture. And then at this point, it prompts Gizmo to freak out because of bright light, and that's when we get another explanation of our rules. This is the second time we're hearing the rules that people can't follow. Not a joke, just a fact. We have to talk about the rules and the plot hole of these rules. How do you feel about these rules? I like the rules. I think they're they're classic, easy to follow rules. I think they're also easy to break rules, <laughs> um, which is, I guess, the loophole here. I don't know, but loophole you're talking about, what's wrong? What do you feel? How do you feel? When can they start eating after midnight again? Like, what is the timeline on that? That doesn't make any sense. And then later on in the movie, when they're in the snow, they should be multiplying because snow is made out of water. Welcome to Dateline. This is a fucking movie made in the 80s about gremlins, Jackie. I don't think they were really talking about plot holes here. I'm just saying. These, I'm just saying. Think about it. Think about it. But this is where, uh, fun fact, everybody, this is where Dua Lipa would get her inspiration for um, her new rules song. Wow. That was a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I legit thought about it for a split second. I was like, wait, hold on. One, to pick up the phone. I hate you. Haha, not my problem. Moving on. The next morning, Billy fights with yet another invention of his father's, an electric juicer. It proves fruitless. (laughs) We meet another character, Pete, the local Christmas tree delivery boy, who is also (laughs) dressed like an actual Christmas tree. He comes up to Billy's room to hide the costume he's sick of wearing, and when he sees Gizmo, needless to say, he's fascinated by him. He asks if he can pick him up, and when he does, he accidentally knocks over a glass of water, wetting Gizmo. Gizmo immediately falls over and begins to seize and screech in pain, when suddenly a small ball of fur pops out of Gizmo. The fur ball slowly begins to grow, and as it does, four more balls pop out of Giz. The boys watch in amazement as the fur balls continue to grow until they fully emerge as Mogwai. Billy is stunned while Pete has already lost interest. <laughs> These new Mogwai seem to be aggressive as one of them takes a bite takes a bite at Pete. Gizmo is visibly upset. This is where we start turning, and this cuddly, beautiful Christmas movie gets twisted, honey. Where to begin? Because Corey Feldman, you can tell this kid has it, honey. Mm-hmm. You can see why he dominated the 80s. And it's been, he honestly does a freaking fantastic job. I forgot, honestly, that it's Corey Feldman. So when he pulls off, like, the, the Christmas tree top, I was expecting, like, a 90s sitcom where the audience goes, Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> like a guest spot you know, <laughs> yeah <laughs> like when there was a special guest on sister sister 
<laughs> exactly like that. And it's fantastic. I really, really like his energy. His delivery is fantastic. Even as a kid, when he's talking about like hiding the Christmas tree, he's like, ah, don't worry. I'll just tell my dad a bunch of bikers stole it from, from me on the way home. It's adorable. It's, it's Corey Feldman. He honestly came out of the womb knowing how to deliver lines. Honestly, quite honestly. But the, the pain and suffering that Gizmo goes through I know. First of all, those effects are great. Oh, my no. Effects are really great for the 80s. But yeah, I agree. There was a lot of pain that Giz went through. And then what fascinates me is that they willingly put them through more pain later to test this theory. And I'm just like, okay. This secretly, this movie's about animal testing, y'all. Like, we did. This is how PETA was started. Oh, my God. I, I like this because it's terrifying because you immediately attach to Gizmo. How could you not? Look mm-hmm. at that little nose. I want to boop it. So when this happens, we get a change in the score. We get oh, yes, a change yes, in the cinematography and we get a change in the acting style, of course. And even from f-ing Gizmo, we get a change in tone because what, as soon as these um, balls of fur pop out, it suddenly and granted this is already a creature feature, but mm-hmm. this is where the tones of a creature feature start to come into play because the music changes and then slowly but surely these balls of fur start to grow limbs. And then my favorite part is the reveal because their ears sprout in their clothes. And then when like the ears open up, they still have a little bit of slime on them from being replicated, I guess is what I would call it's it. It's a KY jelly. Uh huh. So their ears spread open and you get a little bit of slime. And then you just get this reveal. And maybe it's the music, because I want to say it's the music because they all look exactly the same besides like small differences in in, like hair or whatever. But to me, they look sort of evil. And like I said, I think it's just because of the music and the cues, but they look more evil than Giz does. No, you're right on the money because some of them have like a slightly furred brow. It looks just a little bit angrier, which is just kudos to this production team. This work has to be applauded because you're right. This is the change in tone. All of a sudden, honestly, which plays in favor to Steven Spielberg, it feels like an E.T. movie. It feels like a cute kid movie where we're going to get a lovely adventure. And this is where that dramatically shifts because it goes from fantasy to sci-fi very quickly, especially when we break more roles with these. It goes from like Christmas to fantasy to like sci-fi to horror. It's pretty crazy. It's a balancing act and it's so cool to see. Billy shows his dad what's happened and all that dad can think about is marketing them as pets and selling them. Billy goes on a state that they're not like Gizmo and that the one with the stripe seems to be the leader. That night, Billy wakes up to find Barney hanging outside by the Christmas lights. Stripe gives a mischievous smile. The next day, Billy takes one of the Mogwai over to the local science teacher because he'll definitely know what to do. There, Billy creates yet another Mogwai to show the teacher what happens, and he asks if he can keep one to run some tests on, to which Billy agrees. Later that night, Billy walks Kate home from work where he offends her and essentially everybody, including the Hindu community. Then he asks her on a date and she agrees. Getting whiplash from all these different emotional beats throughout this movie, and I Mm -hmm. agree with all of that rating. Okay. Yes, Billy's dad is kind of an asshole. And I I have a problem that I kind of need to address that we didn't address. This movie is supposedly told as Randall telling the story. He opens with a monologue and he closed with a few Mm -hmm. lines. 
I cannot stand Randall as a character because he's not even here for 80% of the movie. So I don't understand. I know how he's quote telling the story. You weren't even here, sis. You weren't even here when it happened. I agree. He's essentially like the guy in the movie who does this, who starts to slow clap. <laughs> I started this. I started this right? slow clap. <laughs> <laughs> he just took credit for everything at the end. I'm like, bro, what did you do? You were at the fucking convention the whole movie. I, I will state this is his fault. <laughs> All of this is his fault. He should have known better. Here's the tea. But whatevs. I don't like but that. But clearly he, he doesn't there. know better considering his fucking inventions. Not only that, he doesn't learn a lesson because later on, he, even at the end, he doesn't learn a lesson. Nobody no. really kind of learns a lesson in this movie. Can we talk about Barney? Because I forgot. I forgot they strung up this dog on some light strings. <laughs> and I thought Barney died. I thought they killed the dog. No. I, le- I was like, oh my God, this movie is dark. Kids should not <laughs> watch this. The children, what about the children? Will somebody please think of the children? <laughs> no, luckily they don't kill Barney. Thank God, because I, I think that would have been too dark. Even for me, Jackie, not the dog, not the animals. Let's talk about Stripe. Stripe is literally every other gremlin except a freaking mohawk, and that alone makes him the best gremlin. It's just like real life. Like, if you've got the hair, bitch, you can get anything you want. Flip your goddamn hair. I love Stripe as a villain. We have two villains. We have Mrs. Deagle, or Kegel, however you're wanting to follow along. Ah! And then then Stripe here. They're both fantastic. I love both. And, and Rant. He's the one who started all this. He's a villain, too. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I threw a theory out there that Billy is a horrible, irresponsible pet owner. And it is evident with his treatment of the, with the science teacher, who, by the way, is also kind of, everybody's kind of shitty. The villain was, he was so quick to be evil to these little cute little gremlin guys. And Billy was just like, let me pour more water and make them scream and make more little creatures. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Right. Also, I guess earlier that maybe they spilled more water on Giz because it was like a whole glass. But this time when he used the dropper, only one ball came out. So it was like, how were they able, maybe because it was only one droplet, only one ball came out? I don't know. That sounds like math. <laughs> What's the volume <laughs> condensity for this mass? Did that sound smart? <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, I have the mind of a master, master, I have the mind of a mastermind. What's that? I don't know, but and I'm so creative like that. Uh, after the science scene, we get another scene with Kate closing up shop with Dick Miller. And oh, this and is when he and he decides to walk him off. But he's also the one that names the creatures. And I find that so funny. How is Dick Miller the one that has like, this is a gremlin or you're dead meat. Like Dick Miller is always the one to deliver the These line, iconic lines. <laughs> <laughs> because he states, gremlins, you gotta watch out for them foreigners. Which is also another thing that this movie is just like, uh, uh, this foreigners, is not, this did Ooh, not age they're well. evil and bad. This did, just did not age well. They plant gremlins in their machinery. That's the same gremlins that brought down their planes in the big one. That's right, World War II. W-W-I-I. That's my opinion! Uh, can we talk about Kate? This Kate's development gets very interesting in this moment because she starts revealing the sad truth about the holiday season when Billy is trying to hit on her. It's a very interesting moment where I feel like the dark comedy can totally be lost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because he tries to like cheer her up for Christmas and she explains she doesn't like Christmas. 
And he's like, well, why? What's not to like about Christmas? And she's like, well, geez, like if you're, if you are a person who doesn't like Christmas, like you're suddenly ostracized, which is still typically true, I feel like. She calls herself a leper, by the way. Uh-huh. And she also goes on to explain, while everyone is opening their presents, they're opening up their wrists. It's true. Suicide rates are high during the holidays. And Billy's just like, yeah. wow, now I'm depressed. And I'm just like, first up, Billy is super naive. Billy is so naive. He's such a naive character, but that's what adds to his charm. And Kate is such an interesting character. Am I the only one who feels that way? Because I didn't depict this type of dialogue coming out of this character, which is why I like this character. No, I agree. I mean, I, I'm biased because I love Phoebe Cates, but That's I love so her character in this because I am Phoebe Cates in this movie. <laughs> so, you are Phoebe Cates in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I identify with Phoebe Cates. But it's so interesting that this movie touches on that reality, but it's trying to use it as like a dark comedic moment because her comedic moments in the dark comedy are honestly only funny because of the uncomfortableness. And it's really played in her monologue later on. <laughs> yes, which we will get to. But I love how he picks her up because you you talked about it earlier. He's the boy next door. I would have swooned so hard if some cute boy was just like, um, I was wondering if you're you're free, uh, if you have any free nights at your job. I was yes, anytime. My legs are open. Let me know. Back at the school, Mr. Science Teacher is running a blood test on the Mogwai. Mr. Science Teacher Professional. (laughs) (laughs) He leaves his sandwich too close to the cage that's housing the creature and leaves for the night. Stupidly. Well, Billy didn't, hold on. Billy didn't even explain any rules to him. He's just like, here you go. He didn't? I thought he at least went over the, the rules. If he did, I didn't see it, sis. Where are the receipts? I would like to see it. Back at the house, Billy unknowingly feeds the Mogwai after midnight and discovers the next morning just exactly what happens when you break the rules. He awakes to find the Mogwai completely cocooned in egg-like shells. <sighs> and back at the school, the same has happened to the other Mogwai. Later in the day, the eggs all simultaneously hatch, all crackling but never fully revealing the creatures inside. The science teacher goes out to call Billy at work to inform him that the egg hatched. Billy leaves work and heads over. Back in the classroom, the teacher tries to coax the creature from hiding with the candy bar. When he dies, he's attacked and killed with uh, a syringe to the butt. Uh, what, what <laughs> in the butt? I said, what, what in the butt? Billy runs in and discovers the dead body. When he reaches for the phone, we get our first glimpse of the new creature as it scratches at his hand when he reaches for the phone. We get more shots of the creature's hand when he reaches for an apple and a glass test tube. Billy runs out to the nurse's office for help when he's attacked by the creature again, and we get a quick full reveal when the transformed Mogwai swings out from the cabinet and hurls supplies at Billy before breaking into the vents and escaping. Uh, Full horror, baby. This is what we're going full tilt horror it gives me aliens it gives mm-hmm. me uh the, it gives me 1950s creature designs it gives me fear and it changes on a dime and i really like it this is where the movie shines and i believe this is at like the 45 minute mark which i like you've built up this really sweet loving christmas movie that you're now going to literally rip to shreds and shove syringes up their asses that's great literally so the first, or, or rather, the lone Mogwai breaks out of the egg in the classroom. Are during they like now gremlins? Is that like official now? Like I guess so. Yeah, because yeah, they that... ate. Oh, she's eating up, honey. Oh, she ate yes. everything up on that floor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I just have to give credit to those 
freaking eggs or what is what does Pete call it? What is it? The putrid stage? Pupil stage. It's the pupil stage. <laughs> but I love the designs. It's a total like nod to aliens and I think it works really well. 100%. Because this movie does so many pop culture references once these little creatures turn into gremlins. Oh my god. It becomes like a who's who of the 80s. Billy calls his mom back at home to warn her, but it's too late. The eggs have hatched and are playing games with Lynn. First, they cut the phone line and blast Christmas music from downstairs. As Lynn makes her way into the kitchen, we get more reveals of the new monsters as they wreak havoc on her home. She manages to kill one with a food processor, another with a kitchen knife, and another with death by microwave. And literally, literally fights off another hiding in a Christmas tree. Billy comes in to save the day and slices the screeching head off of one of them attacking his mother with Christmas lights. They chuck the head into the fireplace and Stripe manages to make it get away. They make their way to the neighbors so that mom can get some help and Billy makes his way back home to look for Gizmo. The ultimate action hero of the 80s is secretly Lynn because this is one of the best sequences. Right? This this right here, this is what makes the movie for me, in all honesty. This is where we go like full dark comedy slash horror. This works. This is where you know we're getting into the horror section of a bitch because it turns full horror because then all this all of a sudden blasting loud from downstairs is do you hear what i hear this music is so good in horror movies <laughs> it works so well so she's walking downstairs and it's totally like a halloween beat from halloween as she's walking down the stairs with this huge kitchen knife can you talk about that setup shot though because she's on the phone and she hears the ruckus she doesn't wait two seconds she grabs that knife you wanted to talk about the Christmas cookies because she's in the middle of making Christmas Some cookies. Some very delicious looking gingerbread men. She's going to the nines, bitch. These Those are made were from massive. scratch. She's icing them by hand with different colors. This woman is full on Mrs. Claus. But this movie, this is this scene and the bar scene, I'm going to say, is like the if you want to introduce someone to this movie and really give them like a good view of what this movie is about this scene and that scene because this movie plays with dark comedy horror sci-fi christmas and creature features like in one go mm-hmm. i freaking love all of it i think it's i think it's i think it's fun because the first death i didn't expect them to fully like kill this little gremlin in a blender you you wouldn't you wouldn't <laughs> expect them to go for the full gore that they go for because up until this point, it's a very hokey pokey kind of Christmassy movie. And yeah, we've had a few scare moments. This is where we go full into the horror because she makes her way into the kitchen and she sees one of the ugly little gremlins like munching down on her gingerbread cookies. He's got frosting all over his mouth. And he like makes his way into like the food processor or whatever, or mixer or whatever, because to get more food. And that's what she just like, she sees her moment and she just leans over. So she takes the moment. And she pulverizes that little mother and and then she takes out another one with her kitchen knife. She stabs him to death, and then the third one, get out, get out, get out, and then the third one, she sprays him down with like oven cleaner or something, and knocks his ass into the microwave and cooks him on baked potato setting. (laughs) She nukes his ass. I love it. If we if they bring back Gremlins and do a spinoff, I want her to come back. I want her to go Rambo style, killing all the little Gremlins. (laughs) She gets apprehended, of course, by getting taken down by some 
fucking little gremlins hiding it in a Christmas tree, which is like a total cat thing to do, by the way. Like that's a cat dick move. But it's horrifying. Can you imagine being attacked by a full on Christmas tree? And then like the gremlin gets like all up in her face and he's like chomping at her and it's scary. The shots are pretty scary. I think there's two gremlins in there. I think it might be striped and another one. I think there's a good, no, there is two. We have the five total. She's already killed three. So there's striping mm-hmm. another one in the tree. So Billy comes running in to save her. And of course we get the gag of the sword falling again. And that's the sword he uses to cut the head off of that gremlin. It flies into the fireplace. And then you just get this very graphic scene of the gremlin still essentially like screaming in the fireplace. It's great. <laughs> that was great. Hold on. Give me, give me another, another gremlin take. <laughs> We also get Kismo Kaka. Like, that's my favorite line is Kismo Kaka. I was like, yes, bitch, read her. And then, of course, Stripe makes his getaway because for some reason he's like stronger and faster and better than the others. What don't you understand? It was the 80s. The Mohawk immediately gives you like 50 XP and you walk a lot. Billy finds Gizmo and he puts him in his backpack and they head out searching for Stripe. They track his snow prints to the local YMCA where he jumps into the swimming pool and causing hundreds of Mogwai gremlins to spawn instantaneously. In a moment of desperation, Billy goes to the sheriff's station to beg for help but is only met by heckling and laughing. We get a shot of the gremlins descending onto the town and they begin with messing with Mr. Futterman's TV antenna before stealing his tractor and using it to plow into his home, killing him and his wife. The others are messing with locals via a mailbox, hot and hot wiring the traffic lights. But back at the police station, they began getting phone calls about the chaos ensuing in town and they quickly head out. I just have to say the 80s movie probably gave me the complex of not trusting cops because they never help in any movie. I mean, they don't help in real life either. (laughs) Action. Action that were leading to chaos. In an instant. This mayhem has an instant. Stripe knows what he's doing. So he makes his way to the YMCA. He jumps in the pool. And so, I mean, obviously this is just another loophole. I'm not going to drag it on too much. But what bothers me is that when, I guess when they're already like gremlins, when they jump into water, they come out as gremlins already. Like they don't have yeah. to come out as Mogwai and then transform into yeah. gremlins. I mean, I guess why not? But like, I find it so funny that it's the exact opposite of me. If I don't eat, I'm a gremlin. But these f***ers, like you just... Relatable. <laughs> Relatable. I have to talk about Dick Miller's death. This is also when I think that the music is fantastic. I'm assuming it's his death um, because we don't see them for the rest of the movie. So I wrote in there that they died. Oh, they're but, dead. Dead, 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 dead. But the phone call that the sheriff gets is about them. So I don't know if they called and were like, oh, a gremlin's crashing my house with my tractor. Oh. Or if it was their neighbors being like, oh my God, I saw a tractor being plowed into my neighbor's house. I'm going to assume they're dead because I assume that they're dead as well as our, uh, spoiler <laughs> Mrs. Deagle is definitely dead. She's dead. She's definitely oh, dead. Oh, her death is coming up and it's, iconic it's the best it is the best but i love this death i think that dick dick miller is just like we've talked about like actors who were never really the main actors like the nurse from halloween they can just deliver they can just give their that is an actor right there in Mm -hmm. front of me and i think his death is hilarious because his last line is literally (gasps) there's a real gremlin in my car And I love that he dies at the hands of his treasured tractor. It's the best. It's poetic justice is what it is. 
first of all, we get this very cheesy, very much like stop motion claymation descent of gremlins onto the town. It's terrible looking, but it's the 80s, so I'm going to give it a pass. And it, get, it gives it its charm for me. But I love all the, like, because this is where we, this is very much like, where it's still a child's movie, sort of, because <laughs> the, the the pranks that these gremlins are pulling on the townsfolk are hilarious. Like, them messing with um, the mailbox is my one of my favorite parts, because, and, it's, and you know it's meant to be lighthearted because the music also changes. So... Mm-hmm. I think it's the priest. The priest goes over and he tries to mail some letters and they're like fucking with him or they're throwing the letters back out. So he's like, what the hell? And so he lets somebody else go up to the mailbox who tries to do the same thing. And then that's when it takes a serious turn and they start pulling his arm down and start yanking him. It's because it constantly keeps going back and forth from the scary to the fun to the scary to the fun. It really loves to teeter on it a lot. And this is just a muck. We meet the town hag, Mrs. Deagle, at home with her cats. She hears Christmas carolers outside. Infuriated, she swings open her door to douse them with cold water. And she's horrified to discover that it's a choir made up of gremlins. She slams the door shut and jumps into her electric stair chair, only for it to go haywire thanks to the gremlins. And it catapults her out of her second story front window, landing her directly in front of the sheriff who was on his way to the Futterman's. Just then, another local who plays Santa every year is covered in gremlins being attacked. The police just watch in horror and drive away, only to crash into another car and land in a building. Randall is still trying to make his way home from the convention and still unable to get a hold of his family. Useless. Clap if you care. Clap if you, clap if you care. Mrs. 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 Deagle, which, by the way, up until like a few years ago, I didn't know this was Miss Deagle because she wasn't wearing her wig and shit. So I thought you this thought it was, was a different just, character. I thought it was just some random little old lady. Mm-hmm. So I never really got the catharsis that I wanted with Mrs. Deagle. And <gasps> bitch, when I did realize this is the best, this is the f-ing best. This death is so well deserved. I love it's it. It's well deserved mm-hmm. and it's well done. I love seeing her ass fly out that second story window. <laughs> And the sound effect of that, and I, that she and I out. love that the the sheriff is just like, is that Mrs. Deagle? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I have to because she gives full Grinch vibes because you mentioned it. She tries to throw cold, which is evil. She tries to throw cold water at these Christmas She's tailors. evil. She's a cunt. She's a bad bitch. She's a cunt. And I'll kick that whole oh, punt. Force trauma. Blunt. I'm a bad bitch up in the front. I have to, because when she hears the Christmas carolers, she goes, <clears throat> Christmas carolers. I hate Christmas carolers. Screechy voice, little glue sniffers. And then <gasps> she tries to throw the water. Glue sniffers, I never. Why would she call them glue sniffers? I don't know, but it's the best. It's the best. I love seeing her fly It out. was the 80s. All the kids sniff glue. Back at the bar Kate works at, she's got her hands full with the drunk gremlins who have taken over the pub. The little gremlins have completely taken over this dive bar, playing poker, smoking, darts, dancing. One of them is even flashes Kate. When Kate tries to light cigarettes for the gremlins, she realizes that they don't like bright lights. She quickly reaches for her Polaroid and manages to make a clean getaway from the bar after almost being shot by one of them. This movie is wild. So... Remember I said that if you want to show a scene to someone and be like, this is what Gremlins is like, this, honey, mm-hmm. show 
this scene. What is this scene? It's a parody. I would have loved to see the behind the scenes on this because there are a lot of gremlins in here at one time. So I, I can only imagine how many puppeteers were in there working all these gremlins. Um, but it is like, it's done so well that it really envelops you in the chaos that is as bar because everywhere you look, there's, there's something to look at. There's one swinging from the ceiling. They're playing pool. They're playing darts. They're playing poker. There's female gremlins. There's a flash dance gremlin. There are things to be the seen. Flash, the hold on, the flash dance gremlin. The flash dance gremlin is everything. Not only that, I'm sorry, She's but you forgot. Maniac, maniac on the floor. floor. I also have to mention the drag gremlin is the best gremlin because they're playing poker. You mean Coco Montrese? Oh my god. <laughs> the best gremlin because they're wearing Mrs. Deagle's wig honey wig okay she's got her pearls on and she's got her lipstick uh, on she's uh, every this scene is the definition of chaotic look up chaotic in, a, in the textbook and this scene is right there that's why I really like this movie. Every time I watch this movie, I feel like I see some joke that I didn't pick up because it was in the far ground. Uh-huh. The dad scene of him in the convention, what could have been a really boring scene, they fill with so much shit. There is so much happening at this inventor's convention. At one point, there's a robot that talks to him. At a second part, Steven Spielberg rolls in with a cast on his leg and wheels across the screen twice i didn't catch that not only that there's a time machine in the background that is shown they cut away they come back the time machine's gone in a of course of smoke this movie is like an eye spy for kids it's so fun i'm going to go back and rewatch that scene because i didn't catch any of that isn't it wild this this is where like everything teeters and gets crazy this is the stuff that you can tell that influenced the sequel because the sequel is this times a million it is. And I haven't seen the sequel in a very long time, so I might have to go back and watch it. Ooh. I haven't seen it in years. I remember liking it, but it's been ooh, a long time since seeing it. Oh, um, can we talk about the gun violence? Because there I, is a lot of gun violence in this movie. I, on the gremlins part. <laughs> I know. I know. I was not expecting A for Stripe to straight up straight up kill shots during the poker game. Like I wasn't ready for that, <laughs> for him to take out a fellow gremlin. Uh-huh. And then Kate almost dies by getting shot at. I find it so odd because these gremlins can attack and like claw at people. Why do they have to resort to guns? They're like, oh, this is much easier. And I don't have to get my nails dirty. And then what, what's even more is like the gremlin is also wearing a ski mask when he does this. <laughs> it's It's very chaotic and I love it. But the best part about all of this chaos is that Kate's still working the shift. She's like, why am I the only one that showed up today? She really is. She's still serving them shots and, and, and lighting their cigarettes, which is how she finds out that they're afraid of bright lights. And that's how she's going to make her getaway. But she really was working her shift. Girl, did you think they were going to tip or what? That's suspicious. That's weird. It makes no sense. And it's some of my favorite parts about 80s films. It doesn't have to make sense. It just has to move something along. Be funny. Yeah, pretty much. It's great. But Billy finally manages to show up to save her. And he they she makes her way out and they make his way to this they make their way to his car. And of course, his car won't start as usual. So the couple head out on foot, where they find the town is in complete chaos with gremlins running amok they find a safe haven in the bank that they work at and there and, and there kate tells the story of why she hates christmas 
Her dad died on Christmas Eve when he tried to slide down. It's okay, honey. It's okay. It's okay. Take your time. Her dad tried to slide down the chimney on Christmas Eve just as Santa broke his neck on the way down and died instantly. They didn't find him until days later. When she tried to light the fireplace and they smelled something weird. Can we talk, honey? What is this story? What is this beat? What happened? We took a total change in tone with this. And that was a moment of silence for Kate's dad. (laughs) This is wild. This is the darkest that this comedy goes to. And this comedy has gotten so freaking dark because she goes on like a full I think minute and a half monologue about her father and how they couldn't find him. And this is why she doesn't like Christmas. And Kate or Phoebe sells this straight. She sells this completely straight. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about this monologue? Uh, so as a child, I thought this was to be serious. Like I thought this is serious. This is something mm-hmm. serious that happened. Da 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 watching it now and just having like a knowledge of what this movie is and what it presents and what it's really supposed to be I'm just like this was a dark I'm assuming that this was like a dark joke on her end that didn't land I am not quite sure like I it would have been different if they would have like laughed or chuckled it off in the movie but they didn't so it's sold as something serious because I agree, this is, I kind of agree with you. I didn't pick it up as a kid, didn't pick it up as a teen, kind of pick up as an adult. And I think it's because of Phoebe's delivery. And maybe it's also the music cue or the fact that no one reacts to it. I feel like if yeah. there was a reaction to this beat, it would make it more comedic or maybe even more serious in tone. I don't know for sure, to be very honest. But now as an adult, I think it's honestly hilarious it's so odd it's such a weird choice the story delivery is also very odd because she just stares into a fire like the lifetime original movie and she's you know what it is it's totally an aubrey plaza moment it's so it's totally like a line delivery aubrey plaza would give in the middle of like christmas dinner right Yes, it would be. And I dig it, to be honest. I can also see why Dante wanted to keep it in in terms of like, this is the tone that we're going for. We're going to say some messed up things. We're going to deal with some messed up stuff. We're going to touch on some really f***ed up visuals for you, but we're all doing it for fun. This is a Christmas movie. Christmas movies inherently, (laughs) we're funner. We're so much funner. And I dig it. I honestly dig it more as an adult. And it used to dip a lot for me, but I think it's a dip that's kind of necessary because when we continue, they venture back outside. The town, much more quiet now. They discover all the gremlins have retired to the movie theater to watch Snow White, duh. They somehow manage to start the movie and the gremlins are enamored. The couple sees their opportunity and sets off the gas in the boiler room and set the cineplex ablaze. They fail to realize that Stripe had already made an escape looking for food. They see him in the department store and chase after him. Inside, the couple split up, and Billy tells Kate to look for some sort of light switch, but not before receiving a wet, juicy kiss. Mm. 
Billy continues to look for Stripe armed with a bat. As Kate throws switches in the control room, she unknowingly turns on the fountain in the garden center. Billy chases Stripe to the sports area where he's attacked with balls flying at his nose. <laughs> there goes his social life. And eventually, <laughs> a hedge trimmer. This, this is the beginning of the finale, mama. Uh-huh. And it goes off with a bang. Uh-huh. They come out of the bank. The town is suddenly quiet. So, like, weirdly so. Like, no fire is going on. All no dead. sparks. There's no people. But there's also, like, no people dead or what, whatever. This isn't that movie. So they're like, oh. You're looking for they, logic. Don't look. I know I'm not. Uh, so they realize, like, oh, it's quiet now. And for some reason, they realize the gremlins have made it to the local Cineplex. Because why not? I mean, I personally, myself, love to go to the movies on Christmas. But I guess oh, that's too. what this was. Um, and so they're all in there getting ready to watch Snow White for some reason. And I feel like that was a, like, nudge at Disney. I don't know. Hi, it's f***ing Mickey. I'm interested in how they got the rights for it. I mean, it's a Spielberg production, so I can only imagine the, the magic I'm sure. he had to pull. Uh-huh. I know <laughs> for a fact he greased some wheels. And they were probably like, we're going to give you Snow White and that's it. <laughs> like, you're not getting anything else. You don't get a choice in what you're getting no nipple we don't want to see anything inappropriate i'm surprised they got away with that i'm surprised disney attached themselves to the material in this movie it was early early 80s so they were so they were still taking risks back then they this is very true because this is all is this before or after who framed roger rabbit which is some very adult material it was before i believe it is extremely impressive even still for me in 2021 to see this giant cast of gremlins in this movie theater there is something happening in every inch of the mm-hmm. screen so it is a fantastic thing to see it's very looney tunes like it's very yeah. looney tunes uh-huh, <laughs> because uh-huh, i think at uh-huh. one point even a character swings from a raster uh-huh. <laughs> Because those, ex- well, maybe they did exist in theaters back then. But yeah, somebody's like swings by. There's a lot. It's literally when we say chaos ensues, chaos is ensuing on your screen. <laughs> but yeah, so gremlins have wrecked havoc on the local cineplex. And they make the plan to like blow up the cineplex. Oh, but it totally gives me the vibes of Inglorious Bastards when they throw all the film <gasps> reels behind uh, the stage uh. and they light them on fire. What if Quentin was inspired by this? Imagine the gag of the sunset. I honestly wouldn't doubt it because Quentin steals from everybody else's movies. <laughs> Let's talk about the department store because this is funny to me. This is so funny to me. This, honestly, now, now that I know and research, this feels like a small soldier's bet. Like this feels like a small soldier's bet. And oh, it's yeah. great. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. I love this setting. It also still feels very chopping mall. I'm going to keep talking about it and referencing it for the rest of the show. So get over it. Yeah. They have this like weird showdown in the department store and the gremlin just uses everything at his disposal to try and kill Billy, including a tennis ball launcher and a hedge trimmer. Oh, yeah. Tennis ball launcher yeah. wasn't going to do anything, honey. But that head trimmer, though, he could have taken an eye out with that thing. But moving on, Gizmo makes his way into the store to help out. Kate finally gets a hold of the light switches and turns them all on, saving Billy from his doom. The gremlin finds a fountain and a gun for some reason in the garden center, <laughs> shoots Billy, and dips his hand in the fountain. But Gizmo comes to the rescue, pulling open the shades on the windows, causing the gremlin to melt into the fountain. We get one last jump scare from the melting gremlin skeleton jumping out from the fountain. Back at the home, the family is composing themselves after everything that's happened. While they watch the news report on what's happened, the proprietor from the store at the beginning of the movie appears in their home, and he's come to take Gizmo back. He says, someday you will will be ready. Until then, the Mogwai will be waiting. 
The man leaves with Mogwai in hand, and the movie ends with Randall warning everyone that the next time you see a light flicker or you hear an unexpected noise, be weary because it just might be a gremlin. <laughs> Warm and fuzzy feels. So our finale, I I like our finale. It feels set up, it feels deserved, like always. I wanna see Stripe freaking get it. But I have to mention my, honestly, my favorite part about the finale is the fact that Gizmo uses a Malibu Barbie <laughs> car to traverse <laughs> this store. It is queer and it is fantastic. Yay. Gizmo's a queer icon. <laughs> we said it here first. But yeah, Gizmo comes to save the day and unknowingly like opens the shades because like, he can't really figure it out. And I think that's when uh, Stripe shoots at Gizmo and it sends him flying, excuse me, up. And that's what opens the shades. But my favorite part about this finale is the special effects oh of goodness. Stripe. Oh my goodness. Melting. Oh my goodness. They are so good. And because, I don't know, maybe they used a fountain because they needed a way to like hide the puppeteer or hide the wires or whatever, but I don't mind it because I actually like him dying on the fountain because you have great lighting from the sunlight. Oh, We yeah. have um, the water that comes, kind of melds in with the melting of the gremlin itself and these special effects that are fucking dope because it's little skin is like literally melting off of mm -hmm. the flesh of the of the gremlin and then it finally kind of just melts away into the fountain and that's when billy goes over to like make sure he's dead and that's when you get the final jump scare from the gremlin the whole skeleton literally like comes out of the fountain and then just like it looks rancid yeah, yeah it almost looks like uh something from return of the living dead Ooh, that's so good yes 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 please i there's also so many nods to et there's actually so many nods to spielberg in this movie there's a radio host who gets played throughout the whole movie who's like billboards are riffs of indiana jones we get an et teddy bear that gizmo hides amongst in this thing there's a lot there's a lot a lot a lot in this movie and i don't mind them i love those types of things in movies this is it's just fun i think it needed to be fun because the stakes are risen and this is totally a final goal triathlon not to mention he had to go up against those tennis balls flying at him at a very high rate of speed <laughs> Those can be really dangerous if they hit you. Those the can right be spot. terribly dangerous. How dare you? And I think it wraps up in a pretty little bow, like it needs to. Like, I don't need an explanation. These little things are little shits. Just kill them all. Kill them all. Mm -hmm. Kill them all. I like the ending. It's very much a Spielberg ending. You get your happy ending? Kind of. Yeah, I like that too. Because <laughs> honestly, I hadn't seen it in so long. I thought that they kept Giz. So yeah. I, I was shocked to see the proprietor back at the end of the movie and i was like oh he takes giz back because we have part two and so i was like mm -hmm. i'm gonna have to rewatch because i don't remember how giz comes back into the picture we might have to add it i love the ending i it's very reminiscent of like i learned a lesson christmas movies of like oh we all became stronger because of this even though nobody freaking learns a lesson randall also doesn't learn a lesson he still tries to sell stuff to the proprietor and still tries to sell stuff through everything Nobody learns a lesson, especially because there's a part two where the shit goes down again. Nobody learned a lesson. White. Which is why you kind of need the <laughs> which is why you kind of need the sad ending. You need there to be some sort of lesson because there wasn't one learned. They're not responsible. Billy is the worst pet owner. I'm surprised the dog Barney survived, to be quite honest. Did we see the dog at the end? Yeah, he was there. He's 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 okay. I would I would have cried away. Okay. <laughs> but we're at the end of our movie. What are we going to give our final scores for this week's flick? 
this movie is another one that like we grew up watching this is prevalent oh, yeah. in both of our households um our family loves this movie so like we can't help but watch it through nostalgic glasses as we love to say on the show um but it's still like at its core it's holiday horror it's another good like stepping stone horror movie this is a good stepping stone for anybody who wants to like dip their toes into the cool waters of horror movies (laughs) what is your score that was my first cool waters reference of season two i'm going to have to rent it i knew it i i still love this movie don't get me wrong what was the reason what was the reason i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't really have a reason to bh i i still like this movie I just don't know if I love this movie. What are the aspects that you don't love? Do you just not like nice things or do you just like not want to be happy? Like what part about I that? think it's a little bit of both. Like I really don't want to be happy. <laughs> and I really identify with Mrs. Kegel or Deagle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I'm not going to, honestly, I'm not going to judge you. Like renting it, I fully understand. Because you are judging movie- though, Blanche. You are judging. You are, Blanche. You are. But- <laughs> I can see why there's still aspects of this movie that didn't age well. That could definitely be a, a benefactor. There's also some plot holes in this. And I feel like maybe if you didn't grow up on this, you wouldn't love it. But I'm yeah. going to buy it. I'm going to buy it. I, Shocker. What <laughs> I think the reason why I'm going to buy it is that, yes, I did grow, grow up on it. So there is that attachment. But I think if you take those components away... And if you're just looking for a good 80s Christmas movie, this is it for you. It's fun. It's campy. It's wild. It totally freaked me out. I mean, right on. Because Gremlins, you're our number one. <laughs> you know what I think it is? Is that I, it's very long. I, so we, did we talk about it earlier? I don't no. think we did. I think we talked about it off the show. It is very long. I haven't seen this movie in quite a long time. So when I streamed it on HBO Max and I saw the hour 48 runtime, I was like, God damn. So I think that's what I don't like about it is that it runs a little long, but it it doesn't really lull in any point for me. Like there wasn't a point where I was like, oh my God, this movie's too long. Um, It's just that I think I was in a hurry to get this done because I, you know, was so busy this week that I went to hurry and breeze through this movie and I couldn't. Maybe that was my, I don't know. I don't know. I rent it. Rent it. Buy it. Do whatever you want with it, Bill. It's the 80s. But that is the first part of our Sleigh Bells month. Next week, we will continue the holiday festivities and talk about a controversial film that had the horror community split. We are setting up traps and talking the horror take on Home Alone with 2016's Better Watch Out. I'm pretty, mm. I know you're on the fence about mm. this. I know I you're am. on the fence about this. I happen to like this movie. I'm gonna say my thoughts actually. I'm not gonna say anything. Watch it. Watch it before next week's episode. Watch Better Watch Out. Um, because ding, ding, bitch. I feel like this is going to be a fighting round. This is totally going to be a fighting episode. I can to- I can absolutely feel it right now. What's that? We'll see. We'll all see. But if you like what you hear and you want to follow the queens, please follow us on our Instagram at the Carpenter Queens. Our Twitter is at Carpenter Queens. My personal account is Nicholas Alexander Photography. My personal account is at STFU Ray. We would love for y'all to leave a comment and rate the podcast wherever you are listening. If you love what you hear, please hit that subscribe button or follow wherever you are streaming. 
that concludes this week's episode y'all we hope you enjoyed and we happy holidays yes happy holidays we hope you join us next week for better watch out but until then y'all stay safe stay queer and you know stay jolly (laughs) goodbye everybody (laughs) we'll see you next time Bye, 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 bye 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 bye